Good morning. Good morning. Today we're going to continue the series of the I Am statements of Jesus. And today's statement is, I am the resurrection and the life. Today I'm going to share with you a really short story about a woman named Rhonda. Um, she's from another church in Denver, Colorado. She was raised Catholic. She went to Mass every Saturday night with her mom and went through all of the motions. She was very devout and she did everything that she was told to do. She went through catechism and was obedient to her mother and with what she wanted. But there was something missing. There was something missing in their lives um, as they went to church and she never felt fully connected. And it wasn't until college that she realized she didn't have to go to church every week. She was actually excited. So she went from going every week to not going hardly at all until she met her now husband. And they went through a religious class together and she started wondering what, she, what it was she had been missing all these years. Even though she was in church every week, she was still missing something. She saw her husband's family start to pray out loud and share Jesus with each other and have other like type things going on in their household that were like Jesus and she was very she was confused because you know to her faith was private and it wasn't shared a lot with others so that was what happened in her household that faith was shared faith was private and not shared as much but after watching her husband's family sharing Jesus she realized that she did not have a true relationship with God. So, she found her relationship with God, and now her and her husband are very active members in that church. And she has been resurrected from her dead faith to an now alive and active faith. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. I want to talk to you about resurrection of faith and a life lived with Jesus. Now let's talk a little bit about resurrection. It's a very foreign concept to us because in our minds, once you're dead, you're dead. But even in creation, there are some things that, although appear dead, are not dead at all. And one of these creatures is called a tardigrade. I don't know if you've ever heard of them before, but they're these little microscopic creatures that have an exoskeleton, that have like eight legs with little claws, and they have a little suctiony mouth, and they live on like moss and water droplets. However, they can live anywhere in this, on this earth and survive. In fact, they've even sent thousands of them up into space and they've still lived. Why am I talking about weird creatures? Aaron, I didn't come for a biology lesson. However, you did come to hear the Word of God. And the Word of God speaks through His creation. And those little, commonly, affectionately called water bears, because they kind of look like bears. I wish I had a picture up there, but they well, actually, if I blew up the picture, it would look like a crazy monster. So it would look as cute. But they're called extremophiles. And they've been known to live up to 30 years without food or water. So they're seemingly dead most of the time. 
unless they're introduced to water and then they come back to life. Their resiliency is in part due to a unique protein in their bodies called the DSA, short for a damage suppressor, that protects their DNA from being harmed through ionizing radiation, which is present in soil, water, and vegetation. So anything from the sun is radiation, technically, reacts with our bodies, which is why we get sunburns, skin cancer, this is why our bodies start to break down. The sun gives us life, but it also slowly brings about our death. Not for these guys. Can you think if people walked around with this damage suppressor, we'd be young for quite some time. For a really long time, actually. And one of their, another amazing survivor skills is called cryptophobosis, which is a state of inactivity triggered by the dry environment. So they squeeze all of the water out of their bodies, retract their heads and their limbs up into a little ball, and become dormant. And as soon as they are introduced to water, they pop back out. And there they go, swimming about their lives, not caring about anything. And now there's another creature of resurrection in the world. And I think a more, most of us have maybe heard of this. It's called the resurrecting plant, or the Rose of Jericho. It's one of those plants that looks like a tumbleweed, basically. It doesn't look like anything when it doesn't have water in it. It looks dry and brown and dead. But as soon as you introduce a little bit of water, overnight it starts to bloom up and turn green again. And those are found in the desert. And it's easy to care for, obviously. For those that are, don't have a green thumb, this is a plant that you want. People will say, oh, that looks dead. Like, no, it's not. Just let me get a little spritz of water, and then it'll come back to life. Now, why am I talking about these, these guys? Well, I'm trying to prove to you that resurrection is possible, even though it doesn't seem like it is. All these things need is just a little bit of water, a little bit of life, because we associate water with life and the life-giving power that it has. And the questions I want to ask today, that I want answered today, through our sermon texts and through scripture, other scriptures, is resurrection possible? How is Jesus involved in the resurrection? How is he the resurrection? How is he going to fulfill the I am statement that he said? Who is Jesus, really? And why is a resurrection necessary for humanity? Who can have resurrection? And why was Jesus so seemingly late in the story that we're about to share? Let's go to the Old Testament in Isaiah. Isaiah 52, 13-15 says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there are many who are appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any being, and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations. The kings and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Isaiah is talking here about Jesus, and how when he is crucified, people will look on him and not even recognize him. But his sacrifice, his blood, is sprinkled over the whole, all of the nations for all of us to hear, and all of us to see, and all of us to understand, so that we can be saved. 
in Isaiah 53, it says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up beforehand like a tender shoot, and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely, though, he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted, that he was pierced for our transgressions, for he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace, that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. We like sheep have gone astray, each one of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. Isaiah is continuing to talk about the Messiah. He's continuing to talk about Jesus. On how he bore all of our suffering, because otherwise we would have to bear the suffering, and God doesn't want us to bear the suffering, because he knows we, we can't handle that, that sort of suffering. He knows that we need him to have a we need Jesus to have a relationship with God. And let's go all the way back to Genesis 3 to talk a little bit more about the purpose of Jesus and the reason why we need resurrection. So this is after Adam and Eve fell from grace. And the Lord is doling out um, curses so to speak. Um, and he says to the serpent, and this is in Genesis 3, because you have done this, because you have tempted, successfully tempted Eve and Adam, because Adam was there, don't forget that, he was just as much fault as Eve was, although Eve gets the, um, gets the blame most of the time because she was the one who was talking to the serpent. He says to the serpent, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And here's where Jesus comes in. And I will put an enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now why does that relate to Jesus, Aaron? Well, the statement of crushing his head is Jesus defeating death. But not before Jesus' heel was struck and he died himself. So the resurrection of Jesus is the crushing of the head of the serpent, is the final death to death, so to speak. Now, let's get into the scripture for today. John 11, verses 1 through 44. We're going to go in sections. Well, I'll do the first 16 verses, talk a little bit about it, to the next 10, talk a little bit about it, to the next 10 or so, talk a little bit about it, and we'll get more into it. Sounds good? Okay. The death of Lazarus. Verse 1, John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, 
was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you are going to go back? Jesus answered them, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death, and his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin, said to the rest of his disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. What an interesting passage of scripture. We're introduced to three people. Well, we've already been introduced to one in the Gospel of John. We were introduced to Mary earlier. Lazarus and Martha. Three people, siblings, whom Jesus loved, and Jesus actually had a relationship with enough to where he felt comfortable upon they felt comfortable saying that they loved each other and that Jesus would come there and rest his head. Because Jesus didn't have a home, remember? He was walking around all of Judea and Israel, all his three years of ministry, not having a place to live. But with these people, he had a place. He had a place to be, and he called them loved. But Lazarus is sick, and Jesus doesn't seem too big in a hurry about it even though he's healed people immediately when they meet him for the first time, even though he's fed thousands and thousands of people, even though he said that he's the bread of life, even though he said he's the light of the world, he's seemingly not doing anything about this. And the disciples are confused. I mean, sure they are. Because anytime they heard that someone was sick or dying, Jesus was like, all right, let's go. We're going to heal them right, right then and there, and you're going to see it. But this time, Jesus was like, we're going to stay here a couple more days. And then he was like, well, Lazarus is dead now. <clears throat> Why would Jesus let someone die? What's, what's the point of that? You know? Why would he let someone die? Why would he let someone he loved die? He doesn't let strangers die. He doesn't let them keep being afflicted in their in their diseases or in their um, or in their sins. But he let Lazarus die. But the disciples, being the disciples, were like, "All right, Jesus, 
We'll go with you wherever. We'll even die with you. They say that a lot, but they really don't know what they're saying. I don't think. Which is something that we're guilty of today. We'll say we'll die with Jesus, but we may not really know what we're saying. Let's move on to verses 17 through 27. Jesus comforts the sisters of Lazarus. So finally, Jesus is on his way to the house of Lazarus, and John continues on and saying, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know you will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now let's talk about this scene. Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead for two for four days, already been buried in the tomb. Well, in those in those days they did not bury people. They didn't dig up the sand and the dirt to bury them. They put them in caves and tombs with etched out things in the rocks with their bodies there. Because the sand and stuff would have moved too much in that time. Now like here where we have harder soil and we can put people in caskets and lay them down. No, they wrap these bodies in linens and spices and everything to respect their bodies. Now, why is it significant that he was in the tomb for four days? Well, because a lot of the Jews believed that the soul of the person hovered around the body for three days. So this was to prove that Lazarus was dead and gone. His soul was no longer near his body, and he even started to decay a little bit and stink because it's hot there. So, Lazarus was dead dead. And Martha came out to him saying, Jesus, I know that you could have healed him. I know that you could have saved him from this. But her faith was strong enough to say, God will give you whatever you ask. So she knew something was going to happen because Jesus showed up. That's the kind of faith I want. That's the kind of faith that Martha had right there. The faith to know that as soon as Jesus shows up, something is going to happen. It may not be what you expect, but something good will happen. Something good will happen that will glorify God when Jesus shows up. And he says, your brother will rise again. And to her, she was thinking eschatologically, in the future, 
in the philosophy that a lot of the Jews have. That they will have hope in the resurrection of the last day. She knows she will see her brother again after she's dead and gone for a while. She knows that they will all be together again in the resurrection of the last day. So she had faith there in that as well. But little did she know, for those of us who knew the story really well, that Jesus was talking about right now. And Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life. That anyone who believes in him may die, but they will live again. Why would Jesus say this? Why would Jesus point to himself as the resurrection and the life? Why would Jesus put that on himself when people were thinking that he was still just a man and a prophet. Well, he was trying to prove to them that he was the connection between humanity and divinity. Because he is both human and divine. And she says, yeah, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You have come to the world to do whatever it is that God wants you to do. And Jesus says that he is to come to bring resurrection and life. That's the kind of Messiah that I want, too. I would like Jesus to resurrect, re resurrect the dead things in my life. I would like him to bring forth joy and strength and peace in areas of my life that I struggle with. And I would like to see that happen in your lives as well and the lives of people that I care about, and the lives of people that you care about. Jesus came to resurrect those things. Just as Rhonda, in the story from earlier, had a dead faith, she went through the motions. She was, even, she was in church, but she had a dead faith. And Jesus resurrected that dead faith and gave her a live and active one to share with her family and her children. Jesus wants us to have a live and active faith. He wants us to go from our grave clothes to our Sunday best, so to speak. Jesus wants us to go from death to life. From addicted to set free. From cynical to believing. From proud and haughty to humble and serving. He wants us to go from angry and frustrated to peaceful and purposeful. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he has come to bring those dead things back to life. And all we need is just a little faith that he can do those things. Just like the tardigrade needs just a little bit of water, just like the Rose of Jericho needs just a little bit of water, all we need is a little bit of faith that he can do that. Let's continue on in the story. You haven't even got to the good part yet. 
verses 28 through 37. After Martha had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. So Martha, side note, Martha had run out to meet Jesus because Martha was the, you know, the caretaker of the household. She was the, the busy one, the one who would greet people, be hospitable, and all that sort of thing. And she was anxious to see Jesus, of course. Mary had stayed behind, quietly, as she would, waiting for Jesus to ask for her. So she got up quickly to meet Jesus at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn, for, mourn there. Now when people died in that time, they had a, it, was a big, it was a big thing. You know, we have funerals and we have wakes and we have dinners and we have all these things that people gather from all over. It was not as big of a deal as it was back then. People mourned for um, up to 30 days. But the first seven were very, very intense. People would wear their worst clothes, cover themselves in ashes, tear their clothes, wail and cry, and all this, all this sort of thing to mourn the loss of someone that was loved. And there was a group of like mourners that went along with the people whose person had died. And these people followed Mary around because they thought that she was going to the grave to mourn. Little did they know Jesus was there. So when Jesus met Mary, there was a crowd of people right there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died again. Mary said the same thing that Martha did. Lord, if you'd only been here. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and when I say weeping, I mean full-on tears <coughs> streaming down the face, even wailing, even all these things. Some of the English words that we have for what happens are not as good as what is what actually happened. So imagine weeping, like crying and wailing, okay? I don't want you just, just a couple tears. It's like the worst day you've ever had compounded upon the worst year you've ever had with the death of someone you loved. All of this sadness, all of this grief, all of this anger even, all at once coming out of these people. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And he asked, Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Then Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Three things. One, John was writing this gospel 
to Gentiles. He was not writing this for the Jews, like Matthew did. He was writing this gospel for the Gentiles, and the Jews too, but he was writing it so that the Greeks could know that Jesus and God were the same, and that God had emotion. Because the Greeks believed that those who have emotions were easily manipulated and could be controlled. So that's why a lot of their gods have specific emotions and specific things and did a lot of crazy, crazy things because they had emotions. But they had an unknown god and they believed that that god had no emotion at all. So John was trying to tell them that God has emotions and that emotions come from God and that they are not to be easily manipulated or controlled, but they occur when we experience things. So Jesus, being fully human and fully divine, experienced the same grief that Martha and Mary and the others experienced. Jesus let out all of his tears and all of his anger and all of his emotions then and there when he left. Shortest verse, two words, Jesus wept. And three, so two was that Jesus let out all those emotions. And three is that even the people around him were thinking, if Jesus just would have been here earlier, he would have gotten this done. So they had faith in the, what they had seen before of Jesus. But they were thinking, if you had just been here, if you had just been here, now here's the good part of the story. John 11, verses 38 through 44. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, once more deeply moved, so once more full of sadness and anger and emotion, came to the tomb. And it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. I don't know who took away the stone, but I feel bad for those people because one, stone, heavy. Two, stinky dead body. So I don't know who rolled away the stone. Those are the unsung heroes of the story. But they, had, they obeyed Jesus and rolled away the stone. But before they did that, Martha, usually being the first one to speak, first one to do anything, saying, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, John is yet again reminding us that Lazarus is dead, and this is his sister. By this time, there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. She's reminding Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing? This is very confusing. This is not normal mourning behavior. We don't look at the body. Jesus, you're being weird. <laughs> Expect the unexpected from Jesus. Now, in our, in our day, we can look at a body 
for a, a bit because they've been preserved. For people back then, not so preserved. And hot. I don't want to stress enough, I can't stress enough about how hot and humid probably and disgusting this all is. And again, Jesus said, reminding Martha of her belief and her faith. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So he's reminding Martha that she has that little faith that can resurrect dead things from death to life. Martha, you told me that you believed in me, that I'm the Messiah, and that you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life. You told me this. I'm going to show you now. We're going to glorify God here. You're going to see it. So, they took away the stone. I want that kind of commanding power. <laughs> Jesus said, roll away the stone. People roll away the stone. I say to my children, go upstairs and go to bed. Go upstairs and go to bed. All is well. <laughs> Something about Jesus, right? Something about him. He says, pick up your mat and walk. People do it. Drop all you have and follow me. People do it. But we can have that kind of commanding power, can't we? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we too can command the dead to life. And Jesus then looked up to heaven and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Jesus is like, God, we talk all the time. You're my father, you and I are one, we talk all the time. But this time I'm going to share my prayer out loud. Because most of the time, didn't Jesus go off somewhere else and pray in quiet? This is one of the first times that we see him praying out loud for all people to hear. He does this for our benefit. So that we may believe. So that we may know the connection that he has with the Father. then here comes the part that we're all ready to hear. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. But sure enough, he walked out of the grave. He didn't just open his eyes a little and roll out of bed and saunter out. No. Lazarus woke up, sat up, stood up, walked his body, which had been decaying for four days, walked out of the tomb and back amongst his people. How did that happen? Everything was going backwards for him. 
and now all of a sudden he's restored back to his self that he was before, before he was even sick. Jesus reversed the clock for him. And again, Jesus commanded him and he listened. And to the Jews, Jesus had to powerfully, somehow, supernaturally, get his soul back to his body and restore all of his body back to a functioning human. Because we read later that Lazarus would sit and eat with people and act just like a normal person. So it wasn't that Lazarus came out all disfigured and funky. He came back fully restored. Now who wants that? I do. I don't want to walk around all dead and funky. I want to be fully restored. I want the glory of God to shine through me. I don't know about you, but this life is hard enough as it is without something dead and funky hanging around you. And today, I want us to realize that Jesus, all we need is Jesus here. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the one who brings us from death to life. And we can live again. And I don't know what it is in your life that makes you feel dead. But today is the day that you're going to get up and rise again. I don't know what it is for you. But I'm going to get up. I'm going to rise again. And again, Jesus said to them, Take off this grave clothes and let him go. So Jesus had one more step for him. He had to take off what had been trapping him before. <clears throat> he had to take off what was keeping him looking dead. Now some of us have gone from death to life, but we still carry around our grave clothes. Don't do that. They're gross. Throw them away. Burn them if you have to. Put those grave clothes down. You don't need to walk in that death anymore. You are alive. For those that are listening online, I want you to know that you are not dead. But Jesus can make you live again. For those that are here, you are not dead. You can live again. Drop those grave clothes and start walking around. Move. Kick off the dust off your feet. Throw those grave clothes away and don't look back. Jesus is here to bring us from death to life. So the glory of God may be revealed. And let me tell you, that Jesus really worked up to that miracle, didn't he? He really worked up to bringing Lazarus out of that tomb. And I'm sure that those people were more than stunned. I want people to look at you and, see, and be stunned as well. I want them to hear your stories of how Jesus brought you from death to life. And we, how do we do that? We've got to follow Jesus. 
We've got to have that little faith. Because following Jesus allows us to have spiritual resurrection. Let him bring you from death to life. Following Jesus allows spiritual resurrection. Let him bring you from death to life. Let him be the one to do that. Is resurrection possible? Yes, it's possible. What about Jesus? Why Jesus? Well, Jesus is both human and divine. Human and divine. Giving him the power in heaven and on earth. And he is our connection to a relationship with God who can restore all things to his glory. Jesus is also the one who crushed death's head with his, through his resurrection, even though he was struck down momentarily through his crucifixion and his death. And why does humanity need resurrection? We need resurrection because of what sin has done to a relationship with God, broken it and broken us. And all who believe in Jesus, that he is the Messiah, and follow him, will have the same resurrection power in their lives. And even though it seemed like it, Jesus wasn't late. He was there just in time to show the most powerful glory of God that anyone had ever seen up to that point. To show that his greatest miracle to date, to raise Lazarus from the dead, and to show us that we can go from death to life. Maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, well, it might be too late for me. I'm too bad. I'm too ugly. I'm too dis disfigured. I'm too whatever to go on from this. Maybe you're thinking it's too late for you. Well, I'm here to tell you, and Scripture is here to tell you, that's not too late. It's never too late. Jesus can bring you from death to life. Any part of you that's dead can be brought back to life. And it's not too late for that. Even when it seems like all hope is gone. Even when it seems like things are hard and you can't get through it. Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the one who will bring you from death to life. He is here for you. He's here now. I want us now to close our eyes, bow our heads, and pray. I'm going to end this sermon in a prayer and a challenge for all of us. Heavenly Father, oh, you are here with us. Oh, how you love us. And oh, how you want us to be alive in you, to have a relationship with you, to go from death to life, 
to go from afraid and broken to fearless and restored. To go from sad and confused to at peace and joyful. God who wanted to bring us from our anger and despair to a sense of joy and a sense of your, your encouragement. Lord, look into our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, move in and through us. Wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, however you're listening to my voice right now. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit's voice. Whatever sin, whatever brokenness within you, May God the Father Almighty begin to work in you in a way that's never been done before. I don't want you to leave here today the same person that you were when you walked through these doors or when you logged on to listen to our sermon in our church. Jesus Restore us. Make us new. Make us new people. So that when we rise up out of our seats and take off our grave clothes and leave them behind us, people will be stunned and amazed as to how we have changed. Heavenly Father, show us your glory. Show us your glory today through the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus I call out all death in all people today. Jesus you've shown us through your death and your resurrection, what it's like to be in you. What it's like to walk around in your glory. Give us that same experience. Bring us from death to life. For we have faith enough that you can do that. Let us drop our grave clothes. Let us walk out of that tomb again and again. And so all people are restored in you. Lord God, we thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do in these people today tomorrow, the next day, and the next day. We thank you for what you are doing in our lives and how you are bringing us from death to life. 
we love you, Lord. And we worship you in this moment. And in the name of Jesus, walk out of those tombs, my people, my friends and my family. Walk out of those tombs to be people alive in you. Amen. So on the uh, Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead, he showed up with his disciples. Uh, first thing he said was, peace be with you. Probably said, shalom. And everybody was excited to see him. And guess what? Jesus has been here with us today. And uh, some of us have been excited. <clears throat> Okay, so all of us have been excited. I'm sorry, I was a little negative there. Pardon, pardon me. And, and after everybody threw a little party, hey, Jesus is here, even though he was dead, and they, he said to them one more time, peace be with you, shalom. All of the good things that God could ever possibly give you that you absolutely need to be everything that God wants you to be, be yours. Hmm. And then he said, as my father sent me, I'm sending you. He's done it again today. Everything that God can give you that will make you everything that he wants you to be, be yours. You're sent. Go. In Jesus' name. <laughs>